Hello and welcome to the Samson Bruckelheimer Feedcast, sponsored by Samson Bruckelheimer Guinea Pig and Gerbil Feed. I'm Gooseberry Rootsgarn. With me are Original Flavor Josh, Grass Hay Campster, and Kale Flake Alex. And we're talking about, um, hang on. Uh, so what was your favorite, uh, animal feed of 2017? Shit. Oh, wait, guys, Patreon, Patreon's, uh, fixed its, okay, we're back. Uh, no, we're video games, I guess. Uh, Yay. favorite video games? What are those? I don't know, I don't... we'll have to. What do those have to do with farm animals? I feel like I just went through a washing machine brain, a brain washing machine. I, I feel like I have lived eight lifetimes since Patreon announced that everything was fucked up. Between <laughs> that and them announcing that it was unfucked up. That was neat. Yep. Anyway, uh, 2017 is coming to an end, and since the next few weeks are looking like a logic problem with regards to who's going to be in the same vent channel at the same time... Yeah, nobody wants to record on Christmas Eve except for me. <laughs> and so we... <laughs> I might want to, but I think I'm going to be working that day. Uh, but anyway, uh, we decided to do our end-of-the-year hoedown today which means talking about a few topics uh, relevant that happened across the year and talking about our favorite games and maybe talking about the odd cursed video game. Sound good to you guys? Uh, okay. I mean, I still kind of want to talk about Animal Feed, but this is good too. <laughs> I, I was actually getting into it. I was, I was really looking into uh, guinea pig feeding schedules. Uh, it's surprisingly interesting. Yeah, I was expecting you to drop that after like two seconds. And I was like, oh, this is becoming a bit. All right, then. D Sometimes we have those on this show. Anyhow. Alright, so, uh, I'm just gonna attack the schedule in order of how you placed it, and of course the first topic uh, that you've put on the list, uh, Josh, is the first topic that's been on your mind for, like, the vast majority of this year, which is Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. I mean, that game just kind of came out of nowhere, huh? In a, a year of watershed moments for video games, I think this was the watershed moment of the watershed moments. And I guess you could argue, like, Nintendo's been doing really well, too, but, like... Oh, sure. Nintendo like, This game kind of comes out of nowhere, and I just see it on Steam one day, and it's like, oh, what's this? This looks like a DayZ game. And then I see, like, every single video game site and YouTube channel starting to play this game, and I'm like, oh, I guess I should check it out. And then it turns out to be really good. Like, I, I think it, like... Just beyond the fact that Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is really fun, I think like the the biggest factor to it was that it it was the first game to deliver on the promise that DayZ had been making for like the past six years, like in a way that DayZ never really ever managed to, and none of its imitators ever managed to. And what promise is that? Like the idea of of like, dropping into a world-that's-gone-wrong kind of post-apocalyptic setting and scavenging for stuff and then having to deal with other players that are also doing that and don't like you. Like, Daisy also was ostensibly about zombies, but they were always kind of a joke. And everything about Daisy was, like, scavenging around, trying to find weapons, and then trying to defend yourself from and or go and kill other players to get their stuff. I, I have heard several stories about the goings-on in DayZ, 
almost none of them have involved zombies. Every single one of them involves yeah. the, the, the terrors of other men. It's sort of like Walking Dead the video game in a weird way, actually. Um, and that's not to say that, like, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds is the first Battle Royale game. In fact, like, it, before uh, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds existed, the player unknown, the person, was making Battle Royale mods for, like, H1Z1 or something. Um, but, like, this is the first time it's been mainstream. And now everybody's playing it. The thing that I first noticed about PUBG is that, like, I thought it was so obnoxious. And I still think it is a very obnoxious game in many ways. Or maybe it's just, like, the community that surrounds itself around this game. Um, but right from the get-go, it's this this game, and I'd see it pop up on my Steam. And it's just full capital letters. And I'm like, who do these people think they are? That they're going to just make the text of their game all caps. Like, what, Like how the nerve of you. What kind of game deserves all caps? And Dude. so that was my first impression. No, that's true. Yes, that's true. But, I mean, you Massive can hardly chalice. compare the two. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not saying it deserves it, but they, they reached Massive Chalice does not deserve that, no. Mass, Massive Chalice, honestly, if they'd had there been any justice, it would have been called... Maybe ten hours of amusement chalice. And Doom is just good because it's just four letters. It's like D O O M. And this is like some again, so a horrible it's a horrible named game. It's a it's a it, horrible yeah. name. And it's just like this long ass name in all caps, you can't even read the whole damn thing on your screen because it just like you know, the ellipses it to make space. But it is fun and it's like it's so it bo- boosted up the this Twitch directory like no tomorrow where it's like ah eh, it's just League of Legends all the time and then player knowns came in and like actually kicks it off a fair amount of times from the top and it's it's a, an insanely watchable game from a, pers- a perspective of a streamer stream viewers and like it's yeah I, I think the one thing that that we have to take as like game designers and developers from player unknowns battlegrounds is like in storytelling there's this concept of of you know having a story structure or an arc and i feel like player unknowns battlegrounds is really good about setting up arcs for each individual game so it it's it you really each each playthrough does generate its own story but it doesn't do so via plot devices and story, traditional storytelling methods. It is entirely through the mechanics of the game about picking where you're going to land and then going on an adventure from there to just survive. And it's it. I think that's why it's so gripping to watch on like Twitch. Like even if you're not actually playing the game, it's tense. It is a tense game, and it holds on to that tension really, really well. I think you know one of the comments I had uh, because I actually to this date I have not played the game. But one of the comments I had was, it, in a weird way, Player on the Battleground strikes me as the kind of game that, like, it, it's like a fictional virtual reality game that serves as the, like, plot element for a '90s movie or like for like an, yes. an '80s like sto- like novel or something written by somebody who does not play video games but who's aware of them. I mean, there is the, a reason it's called a battle royale game. Right. Well, what I right, but it, it like it, it. What I mean is that it, it like this is the kind of video game that you would see like in a TV. Episode. It's, the, it's this crazy game, 
50 people show up on an island then they fight yeah, until yeah. only one of them's left and like if there's gamers in the audience just like if people are not going to play this fucking game it's going to be so boring most of the time you're just going to be like walking around and then finally a bullet's going to hit you out of nowhere if you're not the protagonist of this game it's going to be dull and then they made the game and <laughs> everybody loves it who knows a lot of that is just taking, you know, we kind of hinted, we've, we've talked about this before, but taking the Arma formula or the Daisy formula and really condensing it to it's just, just the good bits. And that, that is, I think, why it works so well and why it succeeds where Daisy, Arma, and other games failed. Because if you've ever tried to play Daisy, it is hours of scouring so that you can find one gun just so that some it's jerk off can find you later. Yeah, yeah, and just... Hour, you you spend three hours to get a gun, and then two hours later you get shot in the back of the head, and and that's it, and that's that's your Daisy ex- experience. Or, or, if, versus... or if you don't, so what? Like, what did you gain? What did you actually like? What goal were you achieving? You're just basically just like playing until you get shot. Otherwise, the game is just get the best gear and then quit because you won. Yay! There's no goal. Also, by framing it as a deathmatch, you get rid of the really creepy like the darkest parts of Daisy that are really kind of yeah. uncomfortable. Uh, it, you know, the, the things where like you'll meet a stranger and you're not sure if they're friendly and they'll act real friendly, but then like pull a gun on you and make you strip naked and drop all your stuff. And then they'll, you know, tell you to sit in a corner and count to 10. And then they swear if you turn around, they'll shoot you and they run off with your stuff. That sort of deep, creepy stuff. Again, the, the walking dead grotesque underbelly of humanity stuff the, the these battle royale games don't really have that because a you're there to kill everybody or they're going to kill you and you know that up front there's no like ambiguity of am i going to meet a friend today oh no i met a jerk uh, that doesn't happen in daisy <laughs> now, um now it's and, just the art team being sort of creepy about underwear <laughs> oh. <laughs> they fixed that in fairness they fixed that how did that um, happen though <laughs> the game's mostly uh as i understand it uh, assets from other places um, they don't have a ton of their original assets, at least not in the original map. Um, I don't know if that's true of player models, but I believe that w- that was the excuse they offered was that like these, the, are, yeah, these are assets. The, their explanation was that gets them that, like um, like someone who's not on the team anymore made the assets like years ago, and somehow they got switched in for the ones that were already there. Um, and I guess the big question mark in my mind is like, how does that? happen well that and also it was the lighting conditions of the new map that that really highlighted it yeah. you couldn't really see it in the existing Erangel map but the uh, new map resulted in the lighting conditions that really highlighted this and it was not good okay you know just, just to get around the double talk for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about uh there's a like very pronounced <sighs> On the female general player, outline. like under John, yeah, there's a general outline. for is camel toe, camel toe, camel toe, and also a deep wedgie. Yeah, I mean, but it's gone you now. You can they see the full already, sort of that. But yes, that it was it was a problem, and they they addressed it. But that is a problem when you're making your game entirely out of third party asset, or not entirely, but using third party assets and not testing up for, under every lighting condition. Um, Things can yeah. slip by when, like, a, a bump map suddenly looks really different in a different set of lighting, and you're like, oh, oops. I would also argue that the bra is, like, horrible. I think there's an article out on that alone. Yeah, like, G- Gita Jackson just, like, did a great no... article on that in Kotaku. Yeah, that's it. It's like, just give her a damn sports bra. Like, no one's wearing this wire bra. It It, it is an awkward bra, but as I don't play as a chick, so I don't really know. Um... 
what else was I going to say? Crap. Oh, so Player Unknown's Battlegrounds also spawned some imitators, like Fortnite, which got weird. But except Fortnite wasn't an imitator originally. It was a completely well, different that's genre. That's what makes it weird. Well, what makes it weird is that Fortnite didn't really. Like... I maintain that Fortnite is really kind of. How do I phrase this? It is a controversial topic to complain about because apparently people really, really don't like the idea that. Especially because, as we've already pointed out, Player Unknown did not originate the Battle Royale concept, and to argue that Player Unknown owns the Battle Royale concept is really disingenuous. Because, like, that's like saying who owns Deathmatch, and and you know the medium would stop as if 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 as soon as you said, oh, I, I I invented shooting people, therefore no one can no one can make a game about shooting people. So there there's an argument I to be actually, held about. I totally forgot all this happened. Yes. Um, so there was a big debate about about who owns the concept of battle royale game gameplay and game mechanics, but also there's something to be said for the idea that Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, a game that uses the Unreal Engine, um, suddenly got mega mega huge, and Fortnite, a game that otherwise is completely about Minecraft style building and keeping an inventory management and all the myriad of mechanics we've we've explored before. Go see other episodes if you want. A, a litany of lists of systems that this game has um, <laughs> suddenly becomes a, a a battle royale game in and of itself as its free to play mode that attracts new people to it. Basically, Fortnite is using Player Unknown's Battlegrounds as a launching point to sell its own game by offering the battle royale mode as its free to play mode slash demo, and that's where things are weird because it is made by Epic, who owns the engine that. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds runs on, and that's weird when your middleware developer, when your middleware provider tries to undercut you in your own market. Like it, it is a little weird. There, yeah, I can definitely understand the idea that 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 feels like kind of a dick move. On the other hand, like threatening legal action as they did, uh, like feels like more than you can maybe go for there. Yeah, because did not patent point, the idea. Yeah, they they probably don't have a legal ground to stand on. Basically, like, nobody walks out of that looking good. Yeah, did that go away? Because like I haven't heard anything uh, about that in months. As I understand it, it is still pending in court. But I mean, court dates take forever, and they don't tend to run in press releases. So I don't know. I think it gave some good press to Fortnite. Yeah. Like player known, player known kind of came off looking like an asshole in that situation. Yeah. Which, like, if you really think about it, you can understand. You know, as Chris was saying, his perspective of like, hey, the the guys who do the engine that we're doing took their game that has absolutely nothing to do with my game and made it like my game, and now are trying to run as a competitor. And and i mean it'd be like i mean 3s came out and i don't i don't think 3s uses unity but imagine if 3s uses used unity and then unity came out with their own copy of 3s and it's like for for phones and they released it for free as sort of a promotional tool for their engine overall and it's like really Re that's that's weird i don't know it's i don't think anybody walks away from that um looking good but I guess we can be thankful for the fact that Player Unknowns has some direct competition. And apparently, yeah, the Fortnite and I Battle think Royale mode they're... is good. Yeah, and they've recently uh. added in a fifty versus fifty mode. 
which is really fun because it takes away a lot of the pressure, I think, of like one versus all or four team of four versus all. So you you build your bases and you get some really crazy interactions that you just will never see in PUBG. So it's nice to see them taking other directions. Like I think there's a place for both of these games. Totally. Especially and... if they emphasize the uh, the the base. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but just the base building. Like I didn't realize they had a fifty v fifty where like twenty five people could be building a base while other twenty five people scout, and then vice versa. That could be a cool mode that has something that PUBG doesn't do at all. That sounds really neat. Yeah, they just released it uh, at the Game Awards. And then it's a temporary mode, so maybe they're going to be doing more rotating, like, special game modes as, as it goes along. Should be pretty cool. I will say that it still feels like Fortnite has no idea what it wants to be, and is still just sort of walking around in the dark grabbing mechanics at random. But yeah. I, I like the building mechanics, I like the art style, I, I, I hope it finds its way. Like, it, it does sort of feel like they made this entire game and through a combination of various factors involving primarily what the fuck are these menus, uh, nobody really liked that particular game, so they turned it into something completely different that people are kind of, like, down for. Well, the fact that it's free helps. Yeah. And I don't know, like, what the money-making scheme is for the free stuff. Is it just, like buy Fortnite proper to play this other mode? Because that doesn't seem like a great idea. Like, that doesn't seem like a, a, well, Fortnite, a money maker Fortnite was for always, you. It was always going to go free-to-play. Um, it was in early access. It cost 60 bucks or whatever. And then going forward, eventually like in 2018, I believe, was... Well, whatever. It was. It was. It cost money to get into the early access, and then eventually it was going to yeah. become free-to-play. They released the uh, Battle Royale mode for free early... And I don't know what the model is for monetizing that going forward, but the old game was monetized by loot boxes that gave you access to better heroes, better stuff to expand your base, to level up, all that, all the, the myriad of systems they have. I don't know how many of those systems interact with uh, the Battle Royale mode. As I understand it, very few of them do, but I don't know. They're completely separate. Yeah, so I don't know how you monetize that then. Yeah, there's actually no cosmetics or anything in the game outside of the battle royale mode outside of the um the parachute and the buffs maybe, but I'm also not very far into it, so maybe there's more stuff, but I don't think it's as in-depth as PUBG's. Right. And speaking of things that everybody had an opinion on and that dominated the gaming conversation, while surprisingly few people were actually enjoying themselves, Let's talk about bad stuff in games this year. And I think pretty much the big thing, looking back, is the whole loot box fiasco. <sighs> Let's talk about loot, loot box. box fiasco sounds like a really great name for a character in an adventure game. That's all I'm saying. That actually, that, that almost is the name of the, uh, like, boss character in Heat Signature, Seder Fiasco. Oh, don't skip. Also, don't skip ahead. We'll get back. Yeah. Also, that game has right, overpriced so mystery loot boxes. Given... So, segueing on to Heat Signature. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, now that, that we talked about that. <laughs> All right, loot boxes. Um, uh, I don't like uh, them. What, what do we think? You really have to fuck up pretty hard to get the Belgian government to start calling for banning your particular monetization method. I'll just 
Let's throw that out Do there you? for a start. Is the Belgian government um, go, like particularly permissive, like famously so? I mean, the EU. It's like Tatooine out there. Government, like the <laughs> EU super government agency stuff, is all in Belgium. So, uh, yeah, I mean that is kind of an important thing. If the you know if the European Union is going to start investigating loot boxes and potentially banning them, yeah, that's you, you fucked up a bit. Especially I, since I really Star Wars is the, involved. I really want to see loot boxes become like one of the political flashpoints of Brexit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're we're exiting the European Union, so you can do your loot boxes here. <laughs> uh, all right, segueing into our next topic, Brexit. Now, uh, okay, God, so I, I don't know year. if this I don't know if this is a controversial opinion, but I actually I don't like any loot boxes. Uh, like, and I don't I don't mean just like not loot boxes that contain like items that are useful in the game. I don't like any kind of paid loot box where, like, you pay for it and it contains a random item. Like, I, I think that that is bad in general. I, I agree. I think there are levels of, like, different levels of tolerance that I have for loot boxes. And, and the line kind of grays with, like, stuff like Overwatch where you get loot boxes, but you can also buy them. Right. Like, I actually don't like the Valve model, even where you need to buy keys. Like, I think that that's kind of, like, I think that that's kind of a fucked up model. And I... I no, the Valve think... model is by by far the worst. Right, right. I think it's it's kind of weird that... It's almost like we didn't really want to have a conversation about this until EA did it in a way that was obviously wrong, which, God bless them. I think the thing with Valve, too, is that, like, the most egregious examples are in games that, like, we don't personally play, and... Like, in the case of TF2, are kind of at the end of their lifespan. So, like, I don't know if... Like, I feel like that's kind of a thing that, like, it sucked for a while, and we all gave up and stopped playing TF2 and don't care that much about it anymore. Like, but yeah, like, like the, the loot box model in TF2 is, is very well-crafted to take advantage of... of in-game industry parlance whales uh and in general people who are susceptible to that kind of like addictive stuff um which chris can talk about uh from experience i think because uh, you were really in yeah. tf2 for a while with with all that and spent a lot of money on it look i had a very shameful year and a half where i i did some bad things and made some bad decisions this was 2010 20, 2011 this is either right before i started Aaron signal or like the year i started it but uh jesus yeah. is Aaron signal 2011 i guess it is yeah that's that's when i started doing the show i'm i'm old josh did you know that i know uh, yeah i'm just thinking like oh man we've we been doing the show years longer than like that seven years ago anyway um yeah i, I don't i don't like the the valve model at all i think the valve model is is explicitly exploitative um I, it's it's weird i i feel the valve model is explicitly exploitative i feel more gray about the blizzard model and ultimately it's it's just all of this is to fund the fact that games are too damn expensive like would you rather people who are desperate for 
Diva's new skin drop $45 worth of crap uh, in order to get the new Diva skin they really want because that's their favorite character? Or would you rather just everybody pay $15 for a new Overwatch expansion? Uh, and the answer right now is pretty clearly everyone wants free content. And so the game is infinitely free and all the hardcore fans spend a lot of money to get their favorite characters stuff. I don't know if that's fair or right, but that's currently the business model we're we're setting up for ourselves. I I really can't get behind that. I mean, I I'm sure there's some hypocrisy here where I, I'm overlooking like some game that I play or that like I, I wanted to play that is built primarily on this model. But just more and more lately, it, it's getting to the point where like it, it's difficult to justify playing a video game and enjoying a video game at a premium knowing that it's on some level like people are being taken for hundreds of dollars because of like sort of a flawed psychology and that is funding like the shooty bang times well it's not just that i mean yes it is that but also like destiny and other games don't offer you loot boxes per se i mean destiny does have loot boxes there are gamification rewards for logging in every day where, like, Destiny resets every week, and every week you can get closer to the maximum power level, whether you raid or not, if you sign in every week and get the weekly uh, mission-y things to get your stuff. Um, you know, Animal Crossing Pocket, and I know we'll get to the mobile stuff later, gives you rewards every day you log in consecutively. Um, uh, what else? What other games? Oh, Star Wars. I mean, the, 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 the game everyone points to is a bad example of this. As much as they've removed microtransactions, they kept the daily reward crate that keeps you coming back every day because as long as you log in every day you get a free crate that gives you a little bit of crafting gear it's it's not just that we are building systems that are designed to prey on people that have gambling addictions and are maybe fanatics about a specific character or whatever it's also that we are building gamified systems that are meant to keep you playing one game specifically. And and yeah, games have always been quote-unquote addictive. You know, I mean, you can go back to when Tetris launched on the Game Boy and have people talk about, oh, I had dreams about putting tiles down on top of itself to match. And, you know, okay, games have always had sort of addictive qualities that dig into your subconscious, but they were never built that way intentionally until recently. And I, I think at this point, that's what we're doing. I don't know if I'd say that's like the the origin of this is terribly recent. I feel like it's been a process that we've been seeing over the past 10 years or so where games have gone oh, from totally. games primarily as products that you buy and own and you play them for a set amount of time and complete them to games as a service where they're kind of constantly evolving. I mean, Assassin's Creed Origin is a single-player game with no multiplayer features whatsoever beyond a couple of weird things where you can get quests to avenge dead players. Uh which are, like, dumb and superfluous. Uh, but there is a weekly, like, raid quest in the game that pops up where you go and fight, like, an Egyptian god, and it changes every week, and you get, like, different gear that's only available on those weeks. I haven't been able to take part in it because I haven't gotten to the max level, but this is a thing that's in the game. Um, like, ten years ago, you would never have seen something like that in a game. Five years ago, you probably would never have seen something like that in a, in a single-player game with no multiplayer. So some of that is to prevent trade-in and, and to lower the amount of people that just flip the game is, back to games. Is that still a problem anymore? I feel like there was that big, I mean, like, like Xbox One launch, and it's, like, very overtly anti, 
like renting games, anti uh, buying used games, uh, and then selling them. And like everyone was up in arms about that. And then used games just kind of quietly died anyway. Like, do, is used games even really a thing all that much anymore? I feel like we don't hear about it all that often, and, like, a lot of games are just kind of locked to services now. I mean, Steam's been like that uh, since I mean, the inception. Of it. You can't tr- trade in, you know, Steam games, but... It's both, right? Like, I, I feel like it's... it's it, it is both trying to head off people who would take the game and then turn it right back around to GameStop for $35 worth of gamer cat or... Ten dollars worth of gamer cash, five dollars realistic, <laughs> and uh, and and people just just trying to keep people playing the game because the longer you keep them playing the service, the more likely they are to spend money on your service, and so like th- that's the reason that Battlefront has the whole daily login, you get a crate, is because originally right. it was going to have DLC that you could buy with the crystals that lets you buy more crates. So if we incentivize logging in, that incentivizes visiting what is effectively our store, so it incentivizes by proxy buying stuff from us. Um, and and that is that is the entire idea. I don't know if Origins does anything quite that bad, but... Uh... I mean, it, it has a, a store... But it's like primarily cosmetic. Um, you can buy weapons and equipment that is better than level one stuff, but it's not like way better than anything you can ever get. Um, and like, you know, you get like basically level 10 or 20 equipment from the store, but that gets outdated very quickly. But you can upgrade any weapon in the game. So you, it's effectively a cosmetic that has stats on it. Because in the end, like, if I may jump in. Anyway. Um, so, like, I thought of a few things while you guys were talking about stuff. And I think there's a distinction to be made with, mo- like, with blanket statement motivation motivations for people who purchase loot boxes on the reg, um, and like, I think it comes down to there's a few different kinds of people who buy loot boxes, right? Like depending on the game, but there's yeah. like the like the people who are playing a free to play game that want to throw the devs a couple bucks to con- like to keep up the servers, and and that mentality is always kind of weird to me because depending on the company, it could be like really kind of misplaced to assume that they like really need your five dollars every month um i know like warframe has a lot of that where they're like oh i want to support the devs and like that's really great but they're not like this tiny indie studio that people make them out to be um or you have like the games like a lot of mobile games where it's kind of like you pay to kind of keep up with the meta where you have to throw in a few bucks every once in a while, or else you're not going to get the good heroes anymore, and your heroes that you used to have are kind of out of date now because they've updated the game so much. Um, but again, that's also like a free-to-play example. But then you have like this, you have the cosmetics, which again, like that's like a time over money thing. So like for me, it's easy to say like I've never really had to pay money for loot boxes and Overwatch, because I play it a lot, and I don't need to buy any- buy anything, because I get everything I want. But for someone that wants, like, nice skins, and they like the- a particular character, but don't have the time, that's where, like, that comes in for people. And I'm not always a big fan of that. But I- it's hard to think about it when there's so many different perspectives. Because for me, like, I'm not bothered by cosmetic 
loot boxes, but for some people where, you know, that's a big part of the game for them, like, think of, like, Train Simulator or something, right? Like, the whole point of that game is to buy DLC to collect the trains, because it's for train enthusiasts. Yeah. So, like, there's, there's, it's just, I, I feel like it's funny how we're just talking about this now, because I feel like this has gone on so much longer, and I think when we just focus on loot boxes, it kind of um, narrows the focus in a way that's kind of misplaced. I mean... Because it eliminates a lot of other things that are similar in games, basically. Like, I think if we really want to get down to it, what we're really talking yeah, about is, like, or, or debating is, is it ethical to intentionally design systems that are intended to take advantage of um, addictive behavior and use that to generate revenue? Like, like in broad strokes, is it okay to have a society where gambling is a thing that people can do and can be and and is a big business? And how does that apply to video games? Uh, because well, video Alex... games use a lot of those similar systems and logic. I think Alex has a good point in that even like constraining it to addictive behavior might be too reductionist. Like, because you know, if you look at like. I don't know about you, but, like, when I look at, like, the train simulator, uh, like, DLC list, it's difficult for me to see this not as something that is basically, like, somebody, or along the line, somebody is being taken advantage of here, because this content is being sold at a, a huge premium, like, where it's difficult to imagine people like spending this much for this like kind of product unless there is some kind of compulsion which is unusual and yeah i, I can okay. see that um but i, I on the other hand i mean obviously like i don't, I don't want to like be patronizing people like yeah no you, you only spend this much on this product because like to, you have some weird brain thing that makes you do it but on the other hand like i think most people sort of get that feeling like even if they can't articulate like a firm line that's being crossed like well and it's like we're not used to ex like it, it doesn't always it's not so clear-cut when you're talking about purchasing things like especially the train simulator dlc where this some people may argue oh it's nice to have a digital version of this because buying the physical train set would take up so much space or whatever or more expensive but at the same time, it's like, yes, you can spend $50 on that train, but what happens if the server goes down? Or, like, they just stop, you, you don't have access to the DLC anymore, or, like, the, you know, Steam, something happens with Steam, then it's like, you're, that's gone. But if you bought a train, you would always have that train. I feel like that's true in terms of, like, the the impermanence of digital goods in general, but also... You're not spending two ninety five to get a mystery train out of a box, even though you know the three legendary trains you want. You're you're spending you know five dollars to get the one train you want. Like I want the so and so express train that goes from here to here because that's my favorite region of trains. And then you buy that specific train, and then you have that train until Steam goes belly up, and then you don't, and that sucks because. But that's like the impermanence of digital goods. And but you're not being asked to like throw money into a gambling machine with a 30% chance of getting the train you want and a 60% chance or a 70% chance of getting the train that like 
you, you got a 30% chance of getting the train you want, a 30% chance of getting a train you don't want, and then another 30% ch or a 40% chance of getting a sticker, which is kind of how Overwatch works. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, like, the reason we don't, we don't really bring up the impermanence of, of digital products at this point is because we haven't really had to reckon with that yet. Like, we haven't had a major store failure. Like, if Steam went away, this would be something that, like, everyone would be trying to sort out, like, where the fuck, what the fuck do we want to do with this? Where do we stand on this? Um, you know, should these people, like, should they just give us DRM-free versions of that? Is that even feasible? Stuff like that. Like, but that's not something that has happened yet, so it's not really something that I think is within most people's consciousness beyond the, like, general fear of, like, man, that would really suck. Um... It's going to happen eventually, and these are questions that are going to have to be, you know, answered uh, probably on a on a legal level. Um, but like, but I also agree with you know Campster's uh, uh, general stance, which is that like there is something very substantially different between like you can buy this specific thing. And maybe it costs like a lot more than it probably should, but you can just buy it and it's yours and like that that and, and well yours for as long as service exists. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. But um, versus like putting money into a slot machine to maybe eventually get what you want, or maybe get a bunch of nothing. Um, and like I'm I'm less irritated with that model than I am with with the model of just buy the thing and maybe it's worth too much or maybe it's it's priced too high um but you just buy it versus the like like uh, there are like this comes up in in holiday stuff with uh with Overwatch more than anything else I think um in that like there's not enough time to unlock all the uh the holiday skins while the holiday event is going on unless you spend a lot of time playing Overwatch which I don't have time for um, but you can all, but because of the way the odds are stacked and because the amount of skins in the game keeps increasing, uh, you could buy 50 loot boxes during the holiday event and not get anything that you want and, you know, spend $50 on loot boxes and get nothing that you actually wanted. And like, wow, that sucks. Uh, it's not that bad. I, I, I keep waffling on this because like Overwatch really is not that bad. For two reasons. One, they're, they they do have a weirdly disproportionate amount of legendary skins they drop. And they do promise at least one winter item per crate. And so, like... And I say this as somebody who, with a gambling problem, has dropped $20 on the most recent Overwatch crates. So I've opened 24 of them. Um, I got about half of the current winter skins... So it's not like it's impossible to get anything you want. And then from there, I got enough money to buy probably one and a half more of the winter skins. Sure. So if you drop 20 bucks, you can get most of it. It is Overwatch is not the big bad of this conversation. I think it's not good, but I think it's not Valve. Valve is the big bad. Like Valve is the worst, like short of going to totally f play to win, um, battle for EA battlefront. Um, terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, Valve is probably the worst. The the I mean, the, the TF2 system is just so ripe for exploitation. Yeah, and the CS:GO for the same reason. I got a slightly uncomfortable question, which I don't know if you guys know the answer to. Uh, who's buying the trading cards on Steam? I I don't People know. People with more money than sense. 
okay, people but, ask like, me, this... like, they... I get trade requests for like trading cards from like friends all the time. It's like, yeah, sure, take them. I don't, I don't know what you do with these. Because I, yeah, I sell them actually, like for five cents each or whatever. And it, it only recently occurred to me, like, <laughs> it, it would not surprise me if the reason people are buying these was some kind of like uh, reinforcement gambling adjacent activity. Like, if there's something we could do with trading cards. Or like it's, we're, it's either turn them into the badges. Them. Yeah, it's either people who turn them into badges, like the serious hardcore fans of that specific game, or it is money launderers looking to launder their money. Okay, I, I guess that's probably fine. <laughs> I guess that's fine. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 ever since I like I made like five bucks on this, I'm I've, I've been kind of wondering actually, like, and also just like in retrospect, because I've always seen this stuff as free money, like um. Back when I was quitting TF2 and a bunch of other games, I, I had this item, like, I had a Bills hat, and I put it on the market, and I realized, holy shit, you can get, like, 80 bucks for a Bills hat? What the hell? And I yeah, just, so I just sold it, like, instantly. I, I, I come at this from the other perspective of someone who, back in, like, 2010, spent probably close to $5,000 on TF2, and oh got God. back maybe, like, 600 bucks on Unusual Hats. It it is not a lucrative business. I think that's the TF two is the real. It. Well, that's the real dark part of like Valve. Like we keep talking about Valve's system as being like the worst, but like if you look at it outside of the Steam marketplace in comparison to EA system in Battlefront two, like EA system was worse overall. It's that there's actual monetary value to the stuff that you're doing with with TF two and CS:GO stuff. Because you can sell them for real money on the Steam Marketplace. And at that point, yeah. I think you can really have a solid conversation about, like, yeah, this is real gambling. Like, by definition, I mean, you are putting money into a blind box and getting stuff out of it that you can turn into money. Yes, but it's so dependent on the whims of a gaming audience that it's hard to explain that. Like, it's hard sure. to explain why, like, a a purple haze uh, page boy or whatever hat is not worth nearly as much money as a flaming pyro uh, fireman's hat. Like, the flaming pyro fireman's hat is worth a lot of money because it's thematically relevant to the pyro character. Don't you see that, Judge? That's why it's worth $500 versus the $30 that this other unusual hat is, even though it costs $200 to ultimately get either of them by random chance. $250, technically. The PUBG mini skirts are all worth $200 or more. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right, let's, but like, I feel like we should move on. We let's are let's change the subject before we get to... Uh, let's, let's change the subject before we get to... Um, Too Star bitter. Citizen. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, man. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, Zelda, and Assassin's Creed Origins are three open-world RPGs that came out this year that you guys have played that I have not. And they are the next item on the agenda. Okay, I think that got us clear. So, yeah, that, great segue there, Retskarn. Good going. I'm well known for my segue quality. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn is my game of the year. Like, hands it is down, a very good game. I don't know if it's my game of the year, but it's it is among the best AAA games I played this year. 
I mean, the the only like hesitation I have there in declaring it my game of the year is that I haven't played a lot of the other games that came out this year that could potentially contend for that spot. But like, there's just this year's been really good for video games. This year is like um, 2015 again, I think. Uh, in that, like, man, there's a lot of games that came out that were really good. Um, we we didn't really have any bad AAA open world games to my knowledge i'm trying no, to think no no um no like assassin's creed origins one. i know one. Oh Ghost boy which one wildland oh, oh shit i forgot Wait, what that. Yeah. that came out this year what was it ghost, ghost recon wildland oh well yeah okay sorry we didn't have any we didn't have any bad ones that anyone actually played i played wildlands You've played Wildlands <laughs> Predator DLC? Yeah. No, I haven't. But I played a good chunk of the main game. How would you describe it? Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um what's that one that's where it's a third person shooter where you're like on the island trying to blow up everything? Just, just cause. cause. Yeah, it's like just a mix of just cause and um, Far Cry 2. That sounds good on paper. Except yeah, Just Cause 2 or like, Just Cause 3? Because there's a distinction there that's important. Um, yeah, probably more 3. Uh. Yeah, I know. Um, I was disappointed with Just Cause 3 as well. But there's, I think if you play with a friend who's like, just wants to chill out and drive your Jeep around and, and just get up to some goofiness, I think it's pretty fun. I wouldn't pay, like, full price for it, but I think it's, like, obviously there's a story there that people are going to rip apart, but, you know, it's, it's it, oh, it's like Army of uh, Two as well. So, like, it's a nice co-op game if you just want to chill with a friend. I wouldn't play it by myself, though. Was Watch Dogs 2 December 2016? No, it was, like, November yeah. 2016, but it was a 2016 game. Okay. Winter okay. 2016. I couldn't remember. Okay, moving away from the bad games of the open <laughs> the open world stuff, uh, and back to the good ones. Uh, in general, though, I think like open world games are in one of the best places they've ever been. Um, you know, and I'll I'll shut up. Well, and, and like it's like I, there's a lot of The Witcher 3 in this year's games I feel like like Assassin's Creed Origins and Horizon Zero Dawn especially are are Assassin's Creed Origins almost exclusively are Witcher 3 in a lot of ways mechanically uh and and the way their open world works and The Witcher 3 was kind of like a refinement of a lot of the Far Cry stuff into something that wasn't super irritating to play um, I think Zelda is kind of the odd one out because Zelda is different in a lot of ways. But like, it's interesting to to see like the influence of The Witcher Three had on open world games in general. Um, coming through now, two years later. Um, I think Assassin's Creed Origins is the best Assassin's Creed game in a very long while. Uh, I haven't finished I... it yet, but have strong opinions on Assassin's Creed Origins. Well, not strong. Oh. Not in not tepid. I have not tepid opinions on Assassin's <laughs> Creed Origins. 
it's weird in that it is the best playing Assassin's Creed game probably ever, but it's because Assassin's Creed as a series has never really figured out what its mechanics are, and it has yeah. backfilled all of its mechanics with like RPG leveling and vaguely vaguely Dark Souls-ish combat. Like that that is how they fixed it. And I feel they, like they made it not an Assassin's Creed game anymore, basically. Basically. And I, I I don't know how to feel about that because how do I put this? It is the most engaging Assassin's Creed has been as far as having a core gameplay loop the series has ever been, but that core gameplay loop is more or less stolen from other games and doesn't really have anything of interest or value to offer to anything new. I will it, agree it is, with all of it that. Is, it is totally Assassin's Creed, or Dark Souls-ish, Dark Souls-ish combat where you dodge and then counter attack. Which was exactly is, how The Witcher 3 had it, too. So, like, again, that's also by is, way of Witcher 3. It is all about leveling up and grabbing the best gear based on stats and random drops that is very, very RPG-y. It's a, these are very standard gameplay loops, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. they are loops that work, and Assassin's Creed has not worked in most of its history. So, like, suddenly Assassin's Creed feels like a good game, but also it doesn't feel like Assassin's Creed. It doesn't feel like a game that is, like, soul-searched and found its own identity. It's like, well, we don't know what the hell this thing is anymore, so screw it. It's kind of an open-world RPG where you find loot drops, level up, and then eventually take on things with Dark Souls-style combat. And that's... It's fun. It's good. It's engaging. It plays better than any Assassin's Creed before it, especially since we don't have, like, a crutch to lean on, like Black Flag had the ship uh, sailing to lean on. But at the same time... uh, I have played this better in Dark Souls, and I have played this better in various RPGs about loot drops. Like, I've played Disgaea, and I have played Dark Souls, and both of those do both of these things better. So, I... My my it... stance on it is it does not innovate in any way whatsoever. I agree completely with that. Like, it's got an investigation system, ripped right out of Witcher 3. Combat, ripped out of Witcher 3. Uh, leveling up system, ripped out of every RPG-esque game for the past 10 years. Um, you know, uh, like like nothing about it is new. But, but it still feels I don't care. better than old Assassin's it's, Creed. It's, it's like, fun. Yeah. And, and really, that, I, this I think is more like, than anything a condemnation of old Assassin's Creeds than it is a, exactly. a, like, this game sucks. This game it's, is good. I, I would recommend people play this if you like anything we're saying, or if you like Egypt in general. But, and I think that's the big thing for me is like, it's the first Assassin's Creed game that's fun to play. And like, like, okay, I didn't play half the Assassin's Creed games because I fell off after like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Um, but of those games that I played, like, it's the one that's actually interesting to play. Um, and it, like, it does what the Assassin's Creed series is really ostensibly there to do, which is put you in interesting historical backdrops and it does that while actually playing pretty well and I'm happy with that um so like also, I don't I don't need it to innovate they, they also take like a tepid half step towards 
emergent play and I respect the effort, but it doesn't work. Oh, like with the random, like, oh, there's a predator attack over here. Go deal with it. Not, not even the predator attacks, although it is hilarious when I like spawn in the middle of the, uh, of the serious temple where everyone is worshiping. <laughs> and then for no reason, there's a freaking hyena and it's like, he's, he's mowing down dudes. And I have to actually like, there, there was a situation where I was in a hallway and there was a guy in the middle of the hallway. And on the other side of me and the guy was a hyena and the hyena was like freaking everybody out. And everyone's like, kill the hyena. <laughs> and the dude would not get out of the way. So I ended up chopping the dude to bits to get to this hyena. And I felt really bad, but I killed the hyena and everyone's like, you're great, dude. Thank you for that. And I'm like, I, I am kind of <laughs> awesome. Um, anyway, like, so the game has the game has weird procedural bits like that, but the game also has an emergent bit in the sense of like there are like there are in the other Assassin's Creeds, there are forbidden zones, fortresses, bases, uh, religious temples, places where you're not supposed to walk freely, and you have to sneak your way in and kill the kill the big bad of that area. Um, and unlike other Assassin's Creed games that sort of like just sort of made it more of a linear journey from A to B where you have to get to the center of the temple and kill the dude. Here it's more like the dude will spawn at a random place and he walks around with his entourage of guards and you will spawn after you die or if however you want to approach at a random place and it's up to you using your fancy pants bird to find where the dude is and take him out. And it, it tries to go for a level of emergent play where it's like, the dude is anywhere within the space. You can go wherever within the space as long as you're stealthy. Try to take this dude out. Um, and I, I respect that. And I, I think it's cool that they're trying that. In practice, I don't know if it works. Because stealth is really hard in this game. Not, not really hard, but really limited. It is hard to do stealth well in Assassin's Creed Origins. And I just end up sorting the crap out of every single person in the entire base and mostly it makes me feel like a badass soldier more than a a stealthy assassin and i feel like the thing that is missing most from this series is like if you go back to assassin's creed one a lot of the assassinations were based around like planning the assassination you know sitting on a park bench and listening overhearing conversations or hiding in with monks and stealing keys from people so that they don't know that their keys are missing None of that stuff happens anymore, and it's 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 switching this really like scripted crap for a emergent system. And I, in theory, I am behind that, but it is not emergent enough to make me go like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" The way like, well, like Zelda does. As long as we're talking about open world games, yeah. Um, I like. It almost feels like in the first game they were going for something like like systemizing Hitman. Like making Hitman yeah. a little more like discreetly focused in particular sections of of game. Find um, out where he's gonna be, and then find out what his favorite fish is, and then poison his fish so that when he eats it, he dies. Like, yeah. But like Assassin's Creed Two dumped those, so like that's not something that's been missing from the series for forever. Um, yeah. And I think that it would have been interesting if they decided to go that way, but like I can. I can understand why they did not. And I think Assassin's Creed Origins, like, it is it is in every way derivative, but it's also fun to play. I think it's good. Um, on the other hand, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, I think, innovated in a lot of ways and has 
And this was really the surprise for me. I think one of the best sci-fi stories in video games. Uh, Horizon and, Zero Dawn also has better combat. Like, hands yes, down. Absolutely. And it's it's not just, like, The Witcher 3 combat. In fact, the combat is quite a bit different. And it's all focused around, like, the, the various ranged bow weapons that you have. Um uh, and, and it creates this incredible world. Um, I, I think the setting is great and, and incredibly unique um, as far as video games go and has some really solid character work and like a lot of stuff that I'd love to talk about, but I don't think you've played through enough to have reached the points where the game really starts to blow your mind. Um, no, I need to go back and it's, finish it. It's really like you need to experience it yourself. Um you know, me telling you what happens would really diminish the impact. So even if, like, everybody here doesn't care about spoilers, like, I don't want to give them because, like, for anyone listening, like, if there's any chance of you playing Horizon Zero Dawn at some point, you really should. Horizon Zero Dawn is really good. I mean, really, this was a great year for open-world RPGs between Assassin's Creed Origins, which is the best Assassin's Creed game ever and also somehow the worst open-world game of this year, other than other than rainbows or not rainbows, Ghost Recon, Ghost Recon, um, those and games then, uh, Horizon not be Zero named. Dawn and Zelda. Like Zelda, Zelda, we really haven't talked on, but it's mostly because Zelda is Zelda. You you either kind of really dig it or you don't, and I, I dig it. But well, it's, I, I don't have much to say about it. There's a reason I haven't talked about Zelda, and that's because I bought Zelda when I bought my Switch and I played it a bit. Then I stopped and never went back. Uh, it's one of those games that I think like I should play, but I don't really have a desire to plug it in and play it. Uh, and that's I. It's a weird position because I didn't. I didn't think the game was boring. I didn't think the game was bad. The one irritation I had with the game was that like I, I don't like that I have this like idea in my mind of the particular buttons that should be mapped to stuff in an open world 3D game and they're mapped to different buttons in Zelda and there's no way to make them work the way I want them to um, which is really just like Nintendo's B and A being switched um, but A still being the button that you use to accept stuff so I'm constantly like trying to sprint when I want to talk to people and talk to people when I want to be dodge rolling um, but like that was the only irritation that I had with it. But like I just it I just bounced off of it in a weird way. I, I don't really know how to explain it. I liked it. I, I still haven't finished it totally. But I, I other people pretty... please jump in and, and talk about Zelda. Yeah, like I think Zelda. It's hard to really for me to give like game of the year because there's so many games I haven't gotten around to. I know, like, I think both Chris and I have recently started Persona 5. Um, Nier is another game, like, I have not played yet. And Horizon, like, Odyssey, like, I haven't gotten around to any of these games. Um, But Breath of the Wild is definitely one of my favorites of the year, for sure, because, you know, I'm a huge Zelda fan. Um, I would say it's still not my favorite of the series. I I still think Majora's Mask is preferred, for various reasons. But... It's one of those games you can put on and just a, a chill game. And I think being on the Switch that you can kind of pick it up, do a shrine maybe, and then like, if you, you know, go on with your day. You don't have to necessarily wait for 
a big load in where you know like some like for Witcher I have to be in the mood for Witcher and I have to be like all right we're going to sit down and really play a big chunk of this and I think yeah. Breath of the Wild splits up the gameplay in a way that makes open world games a little bit more uh, digestible in small doses and that's why it's perfect for the Switch like it it's a perfect game for it <laughs> I will say I think its setting is really cool for a Zelda game Zelda's never really done like proper like post-apocalypse before um and like there are still like towns and whatever in breath of the wild but from what i have played so far like you know it's very much like the kingdom has fallen and shit's really bad um and there's lots of just like abandoned ruins of a much greater civilization that's no longer really exists uh that i think is really cool uh whereas other zelda games were a lot I mean, Majora's Mask was weird, um, but, you know, for for the most part, like, other Zelda games are, are much more, like, standard fare kind of fantasy, like, wander around and, like, hang out in the kingdom and, and you know, do stuff that you would expect in a, a fantasy game. And this one is much more, like, the whole world is fucked. I, I mean, like, and that's actually a point of um, criticism I have for the game is because they do have this kind of... Um, post-apocalyptic ruins and things like that but there's nothing to say about them you know what I mean there's Hmm. no it's not like there's a history there that you're uncovering it's literally just like sometimes you see a broken wall there's one broken camp yeah a little bit of insight into but other than that it's mostly just like there's there's not much story to uncover and I I think that's the distinction for me between Breath of the Wild versus Majora's Mask as being my favorite is in Majora's Mask there's a town there and you actually get to know the characters and there's like really in-depth relationships that you go through. But here it's just Link's story and Zelda's story and a little bit with, you know, some other characters. But for the most part, you you don't really get a sense of a lot of what the characters are doing in this game. Like there's, you don't get the sense that they're in the sort of post-apocalyptic world in many cases. There's... Yeah. It just it's that that aspect is the one criticism I have. It's just not it doesn't connect as well as it could have. I feel like um Zelda's always had a, a sort of weird um issue with developing history for places though. Like I haven't played Majora's Mask all that much. Um I, I know stuff about it primarily through like osmosis um and memes. Uh <laughs> But, like, other Zelda games also kind of have, like, the, the like, an issue with, in my mind, establishing an idea of, like, like, they're, they're, they're kind of fairy tale-esque. They don't feel like they have, like, places have a history and there were other people before all that often. Um, and, like, the, the whole Zelda... The idea of even talking about a Zelda canon is weird to me, but apparently there is an official, like, Zelda canon where all the Zelda games actually take place in the same universe, um, which makes no sense to me at all, um, and is, is a no, weird thing. No, it doesn't thing. make any sense. Like, because the, like, they're always just, like, we're recycling these characters and putting them in new, like, situations and stories um sort of like if final fantasy had like one primary character like one protagonist that was in all games um 
a bit more like like a bit like Mario, but even Mario has like a, a canon that you can kind of follow and doesn't like make no sense when w- like like you can kind of imagine that Mario Galaxy takes place after Mario sixty four and that they could potentially both exist in the same universe, whereas a lot of the Zelda stuff is like like there are explicit contradictions in how things work and and the way the world is constructed. I'd like to think the timeline has been mostly thrown out the window for most fans because it it was you know applied retroactively and it was there's yeah I don't think people see it that way I think that maybe Nintendo was trying to push it for for whatever reason but but it doesn't make any sense and not even between never mind the high rules or the lands it's just like even the differences between the links or the Zeldas doesn't yeah. really matter. Like, every Link is basically a different character. Yeah. I think my point is that, like, if you're having an open world, and, like, the main point of the... the, You're going to be spending all your time in this area, and you have this kind of world situation or whatever, and you have all these homes destroyed, it's just weird to me that there's no remnants of any life or like you can't trace that and it's 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 a fairly recent catastrophe too so it's like you think everyone would still be reeling from that but you know it's, sort of it's the, not really ever anti... about hyrule and I, and I apologize for this in advance but it's sort of the anti-dark souls where with dark souls you feel like like you think that like everything looks like someone had some kind of like idea of what was really going on in the past with it even if it's not explicitly stated, whereas in Zelda, it's like, these are just some ruins. And, like, nobody really gave any thought to, like, what was here originally, or like or if there's anyone that cares about this, or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. You may now continue the tour, tour guide Bretzkarn. Sounds good to me. Well, I finally we come into the indie games, a.k.a. the only video games I really played this year. So... <laughs> Sort of circling back down around to the section of the catalog where I actually have anything useful to say. A lot of good indie games, but of course there's always a lot of good indie games that came out. Uh, I was glad to see some of them really rise to the top of the conversation. Uh, let's start with Night in the Woods, because have we all played Night in the Woods? I I think so. It has been on my list yeah. for the past 11 months or, or 10 oh, months, or whatever since like all right, all right. Chris bought it for me. But like, no, go ahead. I have no excuse to like avoid spoilers or whatever here at this point because like oh. I, I, it has been something that I should have played and didn't for months. So I don't think we really need to spoil the game to talk about it except to say that no. I, I, I don't know how much of it's the fact that I'm like a millennial and this is a game that it, in many ways is written to kind of, it, it's not written a, entirely about millennials. Like the 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 main characters are millennials, but it's it's actually just about like the death of this small town. But in a greater sense, I think it's about this feeling of just dread and malaise as like the world and its opportunities shrink and nothing good lies ahead. And I associate that with my generation pretty strongly. So the the game it does hit pretty close to home. Oh yeah. I actually didn't finish it, actually. I had to stop. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. I guess it's like the part that everyone talks about. That's the brutal part. Um, it's the fairly near the end. or the caves? Uh, I'm trying to figure out what part is the part. Like the celestial part. 
Oh yeah, like that, the dream. That part is that. Like I yeah, had to no, stop after that, and I think it's like it's also the same reason I haven't watched the new BoJack is because like everyone says it's good, but like it was one of those things that you just I just had to stop because it was just too real and it was like too emotional, and then I never got in the mood again to get back into it. Yeah, there were like the scene. new BoJack is pretty good. I know, but it, it's oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel it's, like a lot of the new- media these days is eliciting that feeling for for us, for our generation. The the new BoJack also is less about BoJack's depression than season three was. So if you if that was your holdup, it it goes in a slightly different direction this season. But I didn't make it past it. season two. I stopped at oh. season two because I yeah yeah you oh, wouldn't well, make then, it yeah. through season three. Get off the ride. <laughs> Yeah, don't do season three. Don't do it. Uh, That's what I've been told. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, neither one just keeps like dropping these hammer blows on you. Like it keeps building up to these really brutal and uncompromising moments. And I wouldn't even say it's like the ultimate message of the game is negative per se. Although actually, come to think of it, I wouldn't really say it's necessarily positive either. <laughs> like in fact, that, that that's kind of a question is like. If anything, you could say that the positive note the game ends on is this 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 message that, you know, people will still be there for each other, you know, you can look after your own, you can stand up and fight against people trying to ruin the world, uh, even people who think they're trying to save the world. And, but, you know, it's... The actual game just plays with so many topics, and honestly, the ones that have the most positive, like, feel-good resolutions are the ones that have the least to do with the reality of what's happening, as opposed to the fictional conceits buried within Possum Springs. So, yeah, it's a downer, I would say. It's it's the funniest downer video game I've ever played. Definitely a dark comedy. Yeah. like I, I don't... I don't think it ends in a downer note. I think it ends on a positive in the face of oblivion note, if that can be a positive note. Well, you could see why I would characterize this as effectively a downer note. Yes. You know, you could see, let me put it this way, you could see how everything might be, is like everything's going to be okay, maybe. You can see how everything could be okay at the end of the night in the woods, but it does not end with everything okay, and it spends most of the game talking about why it's less okay than you would assume it would be. So, without spoiling anything particular, the game ends at the end of the world, but it's the end of the world that they don't know is whether it's metaphorical or literal, and they just sort of spend the game going like, well, we don't know if it's metaphorical or literal, but let's let's just spend the time we have together together. And so it's like uplifting, but also morbid, and that's sort of where they fall. And then yeah. REM plays out the credits. No, it's, yeah, it... it's not that kind of end of the world, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it hits this really exquisite balance where so much of the game is like you joking to yourself and you joking with your friends and it does that in a way that perfectly communicates just how bleak and how depressed and how hopeless you guys are like you can really feel this intense like helpless sadness behind what is basically banter and that's a really... I, I respect the hell out of the game's writing. No, I, I love how it contrasts literal... Like, the game does delve into literal end-of-the-world conversations, but then also 
is very much about local economic death. Like, I mean, the game talks about, like, you visit a mall that you haven't been to since you were a kid, and, like, the only thing left is the game's equivalent of a Hot Topic and a food court, and that's how you spend the game there. And that's so interesting that, like, that is the mall at the end of time. And and then and then also we talk about how the world is ending, but you don't know if they're meaning it metaphorically as in the town is ending, or if you mean it literally because we also deal with literal world ending things. It's 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 a really good game. You should play it. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly recommend the game, although maybe not if you're having significant troubles with sort of down emotions. Although I don't know, maybe it'll help give you catharsis. I, I wouldn't say that it has made me more depressed playing it, and I've I've been dealing with that. It's a comedy. <laughs> yeah. That mall thing actually literally happened to me. Um Although the the finding out about it was over the internet because I don't live anywhere near it anymore. But when I was a kid, there was this local mall that was already kind of dying. And like you kind of like, you know, oh, every year a department store would kind of pull out or something. But, you know, it was still there. They had a movie theater there and some like restaurants and whatever. And I looked it up on, on Google Maps like in a, a drunken bout of nostalgia for my childhood like two or three years ago and like the whole mall was demolished there's nothing there anymore did did it show up on dan bell's dead mall series because dan bell's dead mall series is the best <sighs> it's it was probably too small a mall to show up there like it, it was always like a small town local mall you know like like a strip mall indoors almost I remember reading that the reason there were so many malls built actually had nothing to do with the fact that, you know, there was a golden age where the mall was the most, like, economically sound way to, like, you know, just have a bunch of stores turning a profit. Uh, it actually had much more to do with the fact that building a mall made this very specific tax break where you basically couldn't lose money on it. And, like, that, that basically, it, it's not that it was, like this extremely successful model that is now dead per se so much as they accomplished their purpose a long time ago and now you know now that there's kind of a downturn in retail they're not worth keeping around internet killed the retail store yeah although i i also hear that that's not as straightforward as people say it is but i don't know i i I, I, this is really not my forte my forte we're talking about video games Yes, video games. Speaking of which, Heat Signature. Holy shit, who else played Heat Signature? I did. Just me and Chris. I've almost bought it several times, but past like I four, mo- or four like... weeks has been like like crazy for me, so I probably wouldn't have had the time to play it even if I had bought it. Heat Signature is a lot like Hotline Miami. If Hotline Miami was like... <laughs> Okay, you know how, like, on a Hotline Miami level, like, you'll just die a bunch of times over and over again, and finally you're like, okay, I'm not gonna just go for the S rank here, I'm just gonna try to play this as, like, tactically as possible, and, like, really think this out, and, like, cheese it as much as possible? (sighs) Heat Signature is, like, a game, a really interesting, complex, and broad game built upon that single nugget, and in a way, I think I actually... You know, besides Hotline Miami's, like, uh, it's, you know, it's art style and it's story, uh, I, I think I actually like Heat Signature better in, in most respects. Heat Signature also has this wonderful passive multiplayer component where, so in Heat Signature, 
you play multiple characters. You are not just like Joe superhero. You are a variety of characters, each procedurally generated to have their own backstory and their own name. And if you get captured, your friends on Steam can go and save your character. And also you can find items from your friends and other things. It, yes. it is a weird asynchronous multiplayer game and it is amazing. That's that's my favorite part of it. Uh, is when you if you have a good character who like accomplishes a lot, uh, you can retire them and like pass on their best item. Uh, or like choose their best item so that somebody else might randomly get it like as a drop. And you get to give it a name. Uh, and I... I Actually, I like this feature because you can see like a very distinct gulf between how various people handle naming their items. Like some people will like you know give their name, like we'll try to like write some lore where they're like it's the X twenty three crash rocket or something, or it's the, like they're trying to tell like a story about what this is. And then some people just like name their key cloner Tricky Dicky's Tumbler Rumbler, <laughs> like like me. That that's my item. Okay, <laughs> but. But is the soundtrack as good? Uh, no. The soundtrack is no. It's 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 very forgettable. I, I turned it off, and so I can listen to that podcasts. sucks. Or listen but, to but the, the Hot game... Mammy soundtrack. No, so the game is interesting. Put that on YouTube. The, part of, part of what makes it interesting is that you play the game not necessarily in real time, and there's also lots of teleported gimmicks. So those two yeah. things combined make the game kind of interesting. So you can pick up teleporters that like will switch you in an enemy's position. You can pick up teleporters that let you teleport to another place, but only for a couple seconds. Uh, there are other teleporters that let you do other things. Uh, but basically it gives you sort of like a... The ability to like suddenly appear somewhere and do a thing and then teleport back. Or the ability to swap your position with an enemy, which might get you in a better position and it might not, depending... And uh, all of this is really interesting when you're trying to stealth your way on board a ship because you get missions and the harder the mission, the more likely it is that they ask that you either not kill anybody or get detected. Yeah, like I, I've talked before about how I enjoy games where you can kind of use weird tactics and kind of exploit things uh, to defeat odds that you really have no business going up against. Uh, I love this game. I, I'm, I'm, I, I never say this, but I'm actually pretty good at it. No, it's, it's, it's a game that really, how do I describe this? It's a game that sort of like starts where you feel like you're pretty good at it. And then once you realize what the systems are, you get really bad at it. And then once you really understand the systems, you become kind of a god. And I feel like Rutzgarn has reached god tier in terms of I understanding how to not. manipulate the systems. So <laughs> I may or may not Rutz... have ever achieved. <laughs> so Rutzgarn is the campster playing super hexagon of heat signature. He has way I... more hours in it than me. Yes. Okay, so like I, I I've actually gotten to the point where I'm just trying stupid new builds, uh, just like to to have fun with it. Like um. I told Chris, like, so how the game works generally is that you do missions that give you a lot of money, that you funnel into better equipment, uh, into progress that you can use to unlock new systems, which unlock new purchasable items, and which you can pay, basically exchange to unlock your personal mission, which is this really hard mission, which often you'll, in theory, you're supposed to have really good equipment for because it's a huge bastard. 
and, and the first time when you play with your first character and you get your personal mission unlocked and you look at it, you're definitely gonna your jaw's gonna hit the floor because you're like, how is this even possible? Uh, but I I recently played a character where I my personal mission was the first mission I did in the game. And I did this by just hopping into my pod and finding random ships and just, like, being a pirate. Just, like, crashing random ships, you know, defeating whatever crazy mess of enemies is on it, and slowly scraping up enough money through all these, like, daring raids to get enough money for my personal mission. And, like, my new... That is amazing. My new character is I'm playing Gentleman Thief. And, like, the rules for him is I, I have to pick a character whose personal mission is, like, steal something... I can only accept heist missions. I have to take the highest, like, difficulty heist mission available. Uh, I can never be seen by anybody. I can never trip any alarms. And I can't use lethal force. It sounds like you're playing this game a lot like you tend to play Hitman games. A little bit. And you're into this game a lot like you're into Hitman games. That is correct. Oh, you say into Hitman games. I actually did not play much of the new Hitman, which is pretty good. I also uh, have although... it. I have it, but I haven't. <laughs> Part of it was that there was a texture glitch that was annoying, and it actually was being really fussy about letting me change my settings. And then part of it was just... Um... Oh, that always sucks. Yeah, part of it was just like, uh, I guess I was in a mood for more fast-paced games. And it's like, the way I want to play Hitman is very slow. So, you know. Yeah. Would you say that's like sort of the the one of the underlying problems of like stealth based games that they often turn into very very slow game? Um, yes and no. Because I I feel like that's like when I play Hitman, I, like I play it to like, like the best way the the most um satisfying way to play a Hitman game right is to do it and get it in one run where you do everything right. Uh, and and get out of there with like silent assassin but that's really fucking hard and takes a lot of like studying the levels and understanding like figuring out guard patrols and knowing where different characters will be at different times right um does hellblade Senua's sacrifice count as an indie game yes yeah neat uh i think this is another really good game that came out this year and it's really it cool. It is a that really, it, it really good game. Seems to have broken even by this point, um, which is good. Uh, how, how do you I even like, talk about that? It's, it is a game about mental illness, set against the backdrop of like Nordic hell, with Dark Souls combat, and it's really, really neat. Um, and I like I, mean, I feel kind of bad like talking about it because like I don't suffer from depression by and large. So, and this is a game about like depression and and like like schizophrenia. Right, and I saw some uh, reviews from people who suffer from depression, schizophrenia specifically, who said that they thought that it was not like it was a worthy effort, but didn't really get at the heart of it. And didn't really get it sort of mm. the heart of the philosophy of dealing with it, which, you know, yeah. I I would say that is it is the most noble effort I've seen put forth, whether or not it actually captures it. And it's not for me to say whether it actually manages to capture it, but it it certainly is in the realm of video games trying to deal with this topic, putting forth an effort that has not really been seen before this 
in a medium that tends to treat people with psychological illnesses as like the targets of violence and condemned criminal origins more than the protagonist of a title. Like, I I don't know if, if it captures the sense of what it is to, to experience this, but it puts the effort into like, listen to people who have gone through this and it, it tries very hard. And even if it doesn't really encapsulate everything that it means, it, it tries. And I think that effort is worth noting, even if it fails, um, and, and it very well may fail. Again, it's not it's not for me to say this game is is exactly what these people experience, but but it is a game that is at least listening to these people, and that 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 in and itself is something. I don't know if it's it's enough, but it's it's something, and I think it's it's certainly a game worth playing to to see that. Yeah. Um, I haven't got to this game yet either, and it's another. It's kind of like a night in the woods scenario where like. Um, like it's a game that would be really relevant to me, but again, I'm afraid of it being a little too real and being in my face in a way that I don't really want it to be. So I think it's always a question of like, who is this game for? Like, is this a game for people who suffer with depression to like, is it a chance to include them in sort of the gaming world? Or is this more of a spreading awareness type game? Cause I, I, I I don't know because I haven't played it, but I, I, there's always a I, fine line. I feel like it's more of a spreading awareness type game because it's not really about depression; it's more about psychosis in general. Yeah, like it's 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 not about feeling depressed or sad. It's it's very much about the sort of psychosis where you hear voices or maybe are not entirely sure what you're seeing—a sort of dissociative effect where you're not entirely sure what is or is not real because that's sort of the theme of the game because Sonoma not only needs to fight like monsters that she's not sure whether are real, but each area sort of has themed puzzles around perception and each of those puzzles themselves are about discerning what is or is not actually in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's one of those things where like, someone had this this concept of a of like this core idea of doing a game uh with with a particular you know uh, idea behind it and and they went all out for that and like i don't know whether or not it it hits or misses for um someone who does suffer from from this sort of you know dissociative psychosis kind of stuff uh but like it's really neat to see a game with such a cohesive vision that has come to fruition like constantly through the game you have these voices talking to you um in like stereo surround headphones and like voices in different like aural locations um are are different voices but they're all like the same character's voice um uh, and I, that's like supposed to represent, uh, presumably supposed to represent like the the various different like voices that Sanua is constantly hearing, and those voices are the game's interface. They are the game's tutorial prompts. They are the game's hint system. Like all of those in one. Like the game doesn't really have an interface beyond them. It doesn't have a tutorial. Uh, per se, but it has those voices kind of like hinting at what you're supposed to do. But sometimes they tell you to do the wrong things. Um, 
not in the initial tutorial, but you know, there's a lot of like, oh, like, like you're never going to make it. You, you should just turn around and, and stop doing it kind of like stuff there too. Uh, when it's obvious, that's not, you know, the way you prefer. And, and it's, it's kind of weird even talking about gameplay mechanics in this game, because like, it, it's such a cohesive vision of, of, like it's it's clear it's the game that the makers wanted it to be in a way that you don't really get out of like AAA titles where they're obviously designed by committee and like Assassin's Creed Origins is not the vision of any one small group of people, whereas Hellblade: Sinuous Sacrifice really is. Um, but it also looks like a AAA title and plays kind of like a AAA title and was like like obviously had a smaller budget but not like indie level budget uh, so there's stuff that it does that you don't expect to see in indie games I don't know I, I think it's a really cool game I'm not really qualified to talk on like whether or not it's a great uh, example of representation of this kind of stuff or succeeds at at you know spreading awareness of psychosis or representing psychosis in a meaningful way, but it seemed like it to me. I will say that the mechanic as it's described, uh, I've played the game, but the mechanic as it's described actually really resonated with my feelings of anxiety, like with, with sort of how I deal with generalized anxiety disorder uh, in sort of the sense of like the assumption that you are deteriorating, that, you know, you're falling apart, mm -hmm. it's getting worse all the time, you keep fucking up and making it worse, and it's just, you know, a matter of time before it catches up to you, and, like, the entropy will consume you, which is this feeling that your character has in the game as, sort of, you know, you, you have this spreading, uh, sort of darkness on you, which, like, every time you die it gets worse until eventually, like, it's going to destroy your save, is what it tells you. Yeah, this game unfortunately ignited a really dumb controversy. Yeah, and I was not happy about Ouch. how it was handled. Do we want to do that? I, I don't no. know. Let's let's like let's cough. Suffice if... it to say, there was a huge like brouhaha about the mechanic from a like features first, like presenting the game like you're buying a refrigerator. Like, well, okay, you know, but this this is dumb. It shouldn't exist. There's no reason this could Which happen. Is... So incredibly missing the point with this game. Right. Which, I mean, if you want to say, I don't want to play a game like that, that's totally fine. But, like, it's so it's so dumb to attack this like it's something that's objectively wrong with the game. And not, like, a very clearly a, like, core statement of what it is and what it's about. Uh, and then, like, I feel like some critics were taking it very personally that the game was made this way. Uh, and then... It turns out that, you know, there was a misunderstanding about how the mechanic actually worked, which was actually kind of an important part of the game that you not understand that. Like, did you not know that going in? Uh, but then that became the new headline, and everyone was talking about it, and I felt like I was seeing, like, a, a magic newsletter, which was just, like, having headlines like, oh, turns out he's actually in a box. He didn't actually disappear. It's fine, guys. Yeah. It was very much dispelling the magic trick Which in the process I, of getting annoyed by a mechanic that... I had to sit down for a while when that happened, because I, I just... That really pissed me off, to be honest. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Are there any other is... indie games? I've played several other indie games, but I don't want to dominate this category. We are basically out of time. 
I mean, it's the game of the year podcast. We're not going to do a podcast next week, so like, what the hell? Um, you know, if we want to go okay. a little longer, that's fine with me. I got, I got, I got a game that I've been enjoying that I'd like to talk about because I actually have not seen too much coverage of it. I have been enjoying City of Brass. Has anyone heard of City of Brass? Is it an upgrade to City of Bronze? It is not, Joshua. Okay, so I don't know if you guys remember this, how, like, years ago on the podcast, I was talking about how I wanted a video game where you're just, like, an adventurer going through a dungeon who just, like, uses parkour, basically, and just, like, dodges people. He's just, like, trying to sprint through and avoid traps and monsters and, like, get treasure and get mm-hmm. to the end. Uh, so they made it, I guess. That, that game exists now, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's exactly like what I wanted, except, um... There's actually all sorts of mechanics for fighting uh, enemies, which are kind of important, and I'm just not using them very much, which means that I'm dying way more often than I probably should be. But I don't care. It's um so City of Brass is it's sort of the the high concept that's passed around is it's like a first person Prince of Persia. I don't know how accurate that actually is to be honest. Um, but it's it's a rogue light type game where you. It's first person, you've got a sword, and you've got a whip, which, like, you can use to trip enemies and stun them and to grab things at a distance. And you go through these procedurally generated levels, which are full of monsters and traps and, like, vending machines and money. And there's a time limit for every level, and every, like, three or four levels there's a boss, and once you beat the boss and clear that level, you get, like, a waypoint which where you can just start there uh, next time. And I, I, I guess I've just been really been digging it. You know, I, I don't fight enemies very much. Whenever possible, I, I just sort of get past them because I, I find I enjoy, like, goading them into traps and, like, running around, just sort of leading a train of 50 enemies behind me. Like, that's more exhilarating than just, you know, sort of getting them into a blind alley and dealing with all of them. But it's it's just, I, like, I, I appreciate that people are trying different ideas like this. That sounds neat. Why have I never heard about this game before now? It's weird. Like I, I, it's it's actually got pretty good production values. Like the the monster design, the level design, it's very yeah. pretty. I'm looking at it on Steam right now, and it looks like a not triple A game, but you know, n- not no budget indie game either. Yeah, it's like um. If it if it was a, a like a horror movie, it wouldn't be like Halloween, but it wouldn't be like shot on video and starring a bunch of people who would never act again either. It would be like a movie starring a couple TV actors and maybe like the brother of a Hollywood actor, and there'd be like actual monster effects and at least one stunt. It's not Gremlins, but it's Hobgoblins. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that is a bad <laughs> metaphor and you know it <laughs> yeah i'm not sorry so uh in that case are we pretty much wrapped up with the podcast is there anything else we should talk about i feel like we should mention prey i mean I that happened i kind of forgot that i played prey this year or that it came out but prey was great like aside from the way that it ended in my opinion I already said my piece. I'm I'm not saying nothing more. Arcane Studios is like really just tearing it up, which is unfortunate because it seems like they're not making their money back. Oof. I I hope 
this or the Dishonored Two does a bunch of business because I like Dishonored Two and Death of the Outsider. Yeah, and Prey's not bad. Prey just stumbles a bunch, especially towards the end. But Prey's good. It's just it could have been amazing, and it's a really great intro for a game that is ultimately mediocre. Which makes me feel really bad about saying that because I I like. I dig a lot of what it's trying to do, and I dig the legacy of 0451, but Prey does not stick that landing. I feel like there were elements of it that were really cool, and elements of it that just completely fell flat. Like, I feel like it had a real problem carrying over the promises from the early game into the end game. Like, the whole... um thing that comes up early on that makes you wonder about it like like um if you use titan powers then you'll slowly become more like a titan and and um the the station will start to turn on you the station security systems will start to identify you as an enemy creature and and like is that like you know are you sacrificing your humanity for uh for that all of that just gets completely forgotten um you get like a little voice line at the end of the game depending on whether or not you chose to do that um and that's it like like it feels like it was setting up something uh that got dumped at some point the whole um january and december dichotomy Turns out it didn't really matter at all that much. Um, like, like I, I just like the problems I have with that game are just like like the way the third act played out and the way the after credits ending played out. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. But I feel like totally robbed like the first half of the game of all its impact. Like I said, it was still a neat game and the closest thing we've had in probably fifteen years to a System Shock successor. Also true. Until System Shock 2 and the System Shock 1 reboot based on War Inspector. So, it's it's not like this is the one shot we have, so... No, no, no. But it was definitely neat to see that happen in 2017. <laughs> when everybody thought, like, oh, System Shock, you could never do System Shock now. I feel like it's also weird that we haven't mentioned Mario at all, but Mario Odyssey came out so, like, like I haven't finished it yet. Like, I'm not even not I finished it. into it yet. Um, I like so, it. Like, that's one of those games that I feel like we'll be talking about next year. Wow. Yep. So um, in, in typical spoiler warning tradition, uh, we're awarding the game of the year for 2017 to Bad Rats. Congratulations, Bad Rats. Yay, Bad Yay, Rats. Congratulations. Yay. Okay, actual games of the year. Uh, let's just straight up do it. Alex, game of the year. I would say Breath of the Wild. Chris? Uh, if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably say Mario Odyssey, but I don't like that answer. Um, Mario Odyssey or Night in the Woods, depending on how I feel on any given day. Those are the two. Okay, ja, original flavor Josh. Uh, well, I've already said it. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn, hands down. Uh, game was great. Incredibly innovative. Uh, good combat and, and a fantastic really fantastic story with great characters all right uh i'm gonna give it to night in the woods with kind of the honorable mention going to west of loathing because i don't really have anything i don't have too much to say about that game except the fact that it's hilarious 
uh, or at least I, okay, I do have a lot to say about it, but I didn't really want to take up podcast time on it, so yeah, West of Loathing. So does Night in the Wood wins? Yeah, By my Night count, in the Woods yeah. wins, yeah. Or was that there like a half vote each for Night in the Woods? No, Night in the Woods gets my vote two-thirds. Uh, it's, it, it, Night in the Woods will stick with me, but West of Loathing was just such a breath of fresh air. <laughs> if you're looking for a good time, get West of Loathing twice. It has all of the different pun food groups. For the record, we we covered like not even a quarter of the awesome games oh, that came out this year. So yeah, it's 2017 was a great year for video games. Although we did cover 100 percent of the new exceptions. games I played this year. All right. Uh, until next year, this has been the Spodcast. Yay! Uh, thanks for sticking with us for this year. I uh, hope to see you guys again. Coming around to 2018. What's coming out January of 2018? Well, probably everything. Is that a trick question? That, that's an actual question. Far Cry Not 5. Star Citizen. No, Yay. Far Cry 5 is like March. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cut this out. <laughs> Monster Hunter World. Oh, Yay. man. There are several people who are going to force me to play that game. <laughs>